Good morning. Um, I was thinking about something, and even if you are the most rhythmically challenged person, I am 100% confident that there is a dance that all of us have done at some point. Uh, it's mostly around like elementary and junior high years, and it's especially a dance that we perform at roller rinks. Now, no one is really good at it, and you can't really keep a straight face. It's what we call a mixer, which is a nice way of saying anybody can do it. And everyone forms this big circle, and there's usually someone in the center of it that might lead it. Do you remember what I'm talking about? And the leader would begin by saying, you put your right foot in, and you take your right foot out, and you put your right foot in, and what do you do, right? You shake it all about. Uh, and in the event that you were probably didn't get out much as a kid or you were raised by wolves, the dance that I'm referring to is the hokey pokey, um, which is exactly why <clears throat> high schoolers don't dare. Uh, it, it's, it's this picture where there's lots of parts where um, kids and adults alike take great pleasure uh, in shaking them while laughing at each other's expense. and because there's no way to look cool doing the hokey pokey. Uh, the dance ends with everyone complying and singing the final instruction. And the final instruction, you've forgotten, is you put your whole self in and you take your whole self out. You put your whole self in and you shake it all about. And you do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around because that is what it is all about. The question I have and how this relates to today is, is it possible to put your whole self in to many things? Excuse me. It is possible to put yourself whole self into many things that are actually really nice, actually rewarding, worthwhile, and maybe even important. But in retrospect, we realize it's not what it's all about. We confuse oftentimes the great and transforming joy that usually accompanies, say, life's milestones, life's achievements, life's accomplishments with being what life is all about. And this is because they are so intense that we have to put our whole selves into them. But if we allow our milestone or even our ambition to become the goal, they actually become the version. So putting your whole self into family, putting your whole self into marriage, putting your whole self into career uh, or parenting is important, but here's the point, not enough. And you also have to be able to not lose yourself and take your whole self out. I think the greatest challenge is putting our whole selves into something and not losing it. We put our whole selves into our career or our family or an addiction or a crisis that we can lose sight of actually who we are in Christ. Now, last week, we kicked off this series that Dalen started, or excuse me, Damaris started and what he just introduced called Wisdom for the Ages. And, and Damaris made a great point by starting with knowing who we are in Christ. He dropped some wisdom on critical identity in Christ questions. And the three questions were, who are you? Who have you been and who are you becoming? And if you put your whole self into a life with Christ, 
it transforms you from the inside out. The more you seek, the more your, your heart, your desires, your motivation, our attitudes, our joy, our peace, change. So let me just set up a few thoughts about wisdom. And, and the idea of wisdom is that intelligence often is commonly associated with something that we know. And wisdom is not only knows, but it understands. And the distinction between knowing and understanding is actually what makes things interesting. I want to talk about God's perspective or wisdom, specifically the wisdom of righteousness. Now, where do I get the combination of wisdom and righteousness? Because those aren't things that we necessarily marry. And it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verse 30. And it says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, an identity statement, who be, become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. So let me just spend a little bit talking about wisdom, because there is a perspective of wisdom that we and first, we need a new perspective. It's common to think of wisdom as intellectual ability, the ability to think great thoughts. And we think of a wise philosopher as being the opposite of a manual laborer who pounds nails or paints walls or lays tiles. But in Hebrew, the word for wisdom, the Hebrew word is chokmah. Let me hear you say out loud, even though you're muted, chokmah. That's the Hebrew word for wisdom. And it's used to describe both. It speaks of people who are both skilled laborers as well as those who have wise hearts. And we, we read this term applied to skilled laborers who built the tabernacle. And in Exodus 35, it says, every skilled woman, literally a wise heart. That's what it means spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, scarlet yarn and fine linen. That's what they were describing in wisdom. And the Bible says that the craftsmen who designed the high priest's robes were given the spirit of wisdom. Tell all the skilled men to whom I have given wisdom in such matters they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so that he may serve me as priest. So the word chokmah, what we get the word wisdom, describes the ability to function successfully in life, whether it's having the right approach to a difficult situation or the ability to do your job with skill and ethics and gratitude. Interesting. That's not something we think about. Now, in other words, wisdom is profoundly practical. Judaism has historically held manual labor in high regard, rather than thinking of labor as unspiritual. Think about that. Your work, your daily job, your routine, your chores, your responsibilities as spiritual acts. That was always the Hebraic perspective. For instance, when a great rabbi entered the room, people were to stop what they were doing in honor. Like if a judge entered a room or a bride entered uh, the chapel, people would stand out of respect and reverence. That's what they would do with, a, uh, but here's the difference. When, an, uh, when a rabbi would enter the room, most people would stand, but carpenters and other craftsmen did not have to stop their work because their work was considered just as honorable as the rabbis. It wasn't to be 
any separation between what is spiritual and what is secular, what is wisdom and what is righteousness. So let me shift gears for you and talk about wisdom of righteousness. I want to read the whole passage because I just read for you what was verse 30. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, this is what we read. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. In other words, there was a time where you didn't know Christ in a personal way. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. In other words, you were just a working class. You weren't born into royalty. You weren't born into privilege. You weren't born into education. You weren't born into opportunity. That's the picture. But then he goes on to say this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God, uh, he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I'm not sure any of us would describe ourselves as righteous, mostly because I don't want to be accused or found out as hypocritical. Sound reasonable? In fact, we likely don't even consider making a goal of it, righteousness, being unattainable. But here's where God's wisdom comes in. It depends on how we define righteousness. Our common understanding of righteousness is this idea of legal perfection or correct performance. But when we hear the righteousness of God, we kind of cringe thinking that out of justice, God is really angry with us and we can never measure up. But can I offer you a new definition of righteousness? We learned that the word wisdom, the word chokma, is something other than just sort of a, a, a knowledge. It, it's, it's our activity during the day uh, as well as a knowledge. Now the word righteousness is the Hebrew word tzaka. And I hear you say tzaka. It means more than legal correctness. It refers to covenant faithfulness. Righteousness refers to covenant faithfulness. And oh, by the way, if you have ever said yes to Christ, if Christ has ever come into your heart, if you've pledged your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a Christian is to be in covenant with Jesus. And if we think about who God is in covenant, it often results in him rescuing those in distress and showing mercy. And if we think about that, wait, wait, what? Helping those in distress? Helping those in need? Helping those who are vulnerable? If that's what righteousness means, well, maybe I actually have some righteousness in me. Maybe we together actually can be considered a righteous community. 
You know what righteousness starts to look like? Baby showers for formerly incarcerated girls or an immigrant family on welfare. Those in need, those in need of mercy, those in need of a hand up. And I know people who do that. I know people in Mission Hills who do that willingly and readily. It's care calendars, it's food assistance for unemployed, it's lodging for COVID positive people when they have family at home and they cannot go back to work. In short, we love because Christ loved us. We give, we serve, we cross social divides, we sacrifice because that's what Christ did for us and we are in Christ. We are made righteous in him. But let's take a step further beyond simply legal correctness. We also tend to think of a God as only involved in spiritual activities. Like my life is spiritual when I show up for church or I have a faith discussion or study in my tribe or when my church calls for prayer or when my church organizes an outreach. We imagine when we leave church on Sunday, the rest of life becomes secular. However, biblically, it's considered wisdom to do our jobs well to teach a lesson, to make a fair business proposal, to program a computer, to run a lawnmower. A janitor can be using his spiritual gifts as much as a pastor. But if righteousness is about living rightly in light of my identity as a child of God and created in the image of God, you and I become like a chip off the old block. We need to rethink our daily activities what begins tomorrow morning. See, what we realize is that God cares about whether we're a good second grade teacher, a systems analyst, or a checkout clerk. That's righteousness. God is practical and down to earth. He cares about our credit card debt, how we welcome friends and strangers into our home, how we watch, how much TV we watch or how we help our kids get ready for school in the morning. All of this is spiritual activity that reflects the righteousness of God in us. His desire is that we would have wisdom in all things in order to share his concern for the other's welfare, even while meeting our own needs. In fact, there's a common phrase by the Jews at Jesus's time that refers to righteousness as charity and generosity. There's a little translation, righteousness meaning acts of charity, acts of mercy and generosity. Jesus uses it when he says to the religious leaders, do not do these acts of righteousness in front of others, but then he goes on to speak about giving to the poor. Wait, wait, what? And poor, not just being those without resource, but poor, being poor in spirit, those in need of patience, kindness, a second chance. See, the reason I wanted to talk to you today about righteousness is that for most of you, as you discover your new identity in Christ, and I, I think that's like peeling back the layers, as you discover who you are in Christ, you're more righteous than you even realize. Can I say that again? As you discover who you are in Christ, you already start to realize you're closer than you think to the righteousness of God. Because Christ in us makes us righteous. 
life demands that we put our whole self into it. it but it also requires us that we operate with God's wisdom so that we don't lose ourselves in greed and ambition, in scarcity and blame, in fear and control. Today, I am not in Austin. I am in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where I happened to live for six years. And during that time, I met some rather remarkable people. And um, you have heard me share a story about one of those men uh, who became a, a, just a profound mentor in my life, as well as the life of several other dear friends. And his name was Bick Moore. His name was Ulyss uh, Bedwan Moore, but he went by Bick. Bick was because it was, he couldn't say hibiscus, like hibiscus tea. So his all his years, he just went by Bick Moore. And he had been a lieutenant colonel in the army. He had fought in two wars. He transitioned to teach at Auburn and Mississippi State in their master's programs. And then he felt called to a ministry of encouragement to pastors, recognizing that a lot of pastors need friendship. And so in his 50s, he enrolled in seminary at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And then for several years during his 60s, pastored small country churches. And when I met him in his early to mid 70s in Tuscaloosa, he was just hitting his stride. And he was giving his remaining years to investing in people like me. On November 7th was his birthday and it marked his 100 year birthday. And so I had some friends contact me and said, we thought it would be fun to make a pilgrimage to his grave in Columbus, Georgia, just outside of Auburn, Alabama. And so I flew in on Friday and we drove down to Columbus and uh, we gathered around, we met for lunch and then we went to Fort Mitchell where he and his wife, Joyce, are buried. And um, we stood around his gravesite for about two hours. And um, Bick Moore is not a household name, but he left a legacy by simply putting his whole self in to challenging a group of men to live into their potential, to tell them that they weren't failures, but they were righteousness in works of progress but that there was this trajectory of our lives that if we would make small and simple shifts to how we believed in wisdom and how we acted in righteousness, it could just change by one or two degrees each day. But over the course of 20 years, I'd like to think that he set me on a new trajectory. Again, none of you have ever heard of Bick Moore other than you've heard me talk about him. But he changed, he deeply impacted my life as he did with these friends. And so we just sat around telling stories and it went from belly laughs to wet eyes. And what I'm just simply trying to get across is there was a kind of wisdom that he lived into, whether he was at church doing quote unquote spiritual things or whether he was living and giving his commentary on our actions because Christ in us is what ultimately makes us righteous. 
I remember a story and I shared this around his grave and maybe some of you remember hearing me say this, but Bick Moore one day was channel surfing, probably in the 90s. And as he was going through the channels, and if some of you are old enough to remember MTV Spring Break, here's this man who had given his life and, and risked his life for this country. He was an amazing patriot, but he was going through the channels and he stumbled across MTV Spring Break where he sees somewhere down at Daytona Beach and all these young collegians are just hardly dressed dancing and grinding on each other and whipped cream all over. And it just looked ridiculous. And he says out loud to himself with no one else in the room in the most condescending way, and he's telling on himself, I fought in two world wars and almost died for these kids. And he's just judging this emerging generation, which at that time would have been my peer group. And he says, at that moment, I had this distinct word from God, and it just said, I did. That's, friends, is the kind of wisdom from God, whether you are a college professor teaching students, an army colonel leading troops into battle, a skilled tradesman, or a stay-at-home parent. We all get to participate in the righteousness of God as we understand our identity in Christ and learn to reflect his mercy and his compassion and his generosity and his hospitality in his name. We love, we act righteous because God through Christ loved us first and is for us our righteousness. Can I pray with you? Father in heaven, give us your chokmah so that we may operate with a kind of understanding to see our lives not as spiritual and unspiritual, not as holy and secular, so that we may see our small acts of mercy and compassion, of generosity, as the righteousness of Christ lived out, reflected through us, that we might be your testimony, your reflection to a world of hurt, to the broken places. Give us your wisdom to operate in your righteousness in both extraordinary and ordinary mundane routine ways that we might have a growing awareness of your presence. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.